0: Welcome to the International Schools Podcast, where we discuss all aspects of technology and life in international schools, with new episodes live every two weeks. This podcast is sponsored by Apps Events. We're a Google for Education partner and active since the launch of Google Apps for Education in 2006. We're a team of former educators and all experts in helping schools integrate Google into their schools and their classrooms. All training is customized for each school and we make sure it has a lasting impact. Literally thousands of educators worldwide have earned their Google Educator certification with us with our certification boot camps, and these take place every month and get your staff certified quickly. We also host Google Summits, which are fun, two-day conference-style events with concurrent sessions and keynotes delivered by experienced Google trainers, teaching on a broad range of topics using G Suite both in the classroom and in the school. Check it out over at appsevents.com, and we can bring any of these events to your school, which is an amazing way to build a Google community amongst your staff to support each other, plus to increase the profile of yourself and your school. The podcast is also brought to you by Acer for Education. People ask us what Chromebooks we recommend for schools, and after trying them all quite literally, we always recommend Acer. We've been to Acer headquarters in Taiwan to be part of product discussions, and they're genuinely the best thought out, most cost-effective, and most importantly durable devices out there. They're always innovating, including the first tablet-running Chrome and the first convertible touchscreen Chromebook. The latest version of this is a Spin 11, which has a stylus and two cameras, and we highly, highly recommend it for schools. They, of course, have a full range of Windows laptops, and for eSports fans, their Predator range is second to none. If you'd like more information, please just leave your email over at gg.gg forward slash That's gg.gg forward slash And we'll get right back to you. And now, on to the interview. Hello, and welcome to the International Schools Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be talking to Kim Coffino. I, I hope I'm saying your name right. Coffino, is that right? Is that how you say Yeah. And Who's based in Bangkok, and um, we were just saying, I met I met Kim. Uh, I only vaguely remember it. I don't think Kim remembers it at all, but we met in an ECIS conference. Uh, well, you said 10 years ago. I thought it was less, but time time flies, you know? It's got to be close to
1: that, because I was living in Japan, and I've been in Bangkok for six years now. and. Maybe that was not my last year in
0: Japan. Because that, that would have been uh, that, that would have been right when I started Apps events. That was right. That would have been like probably the first thing I did when I started up events was was being at that event. So, yeah, which is now yeah yeah exactly exactly. So great to talk. So um, Kim runs Adura Learning, which is a, she's a consultant and just professional development for schools. Uh, she's involved in Learning Too, which some of you might know. It's a conference run in Europe and Asia. Uh, and COTEL program she's involved in as well. So a lot of different things and used to work for a few schools. So I guess it's good to talk a bit about your background, Kim. How did you you get started in education and where did you work first?
1: Sure. When I was in university, a friend of mine did like an internship with Munich International School and we went to visit her in Munich. And I was like, oh,
0: this is nice. I can live here. I want to do this. So when she left that job, I
1: actually applied for her job. I did not think I wanted to be a teacher. I wasn't interested in teaching, but I, for whatever reason, ended up getting that job, and I loved it. Like, from the first moment I got there, I loved it. Stayed there for five years. They ended up supporting me in getting my teaching license and my master's degree and just basically totally professionally developing me into, when I left that school, I was the technology and learning coordinator for the middle
0: school. Can, can, I, just, can I just jump into that? because just a really quick question about that. That's really interesting. So how how did that work in terms of getting your teaching license? So did they partner with something like Teach Now or Teach Ready or one of these organizations? Because I'm curious if you are already there. Now that's really interesting.
1: There's a pro- there's probably more than one. The one I did was called Fast Train, and it's based out of George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia. Yeah. The States, and there's lots of educators that have done Fast Train in the International School Circuit. The program was developed to train spouses of people in foreign affairs. That's where the fast.
0: Right, right, right.
1: Um, and so they have the classes at this time, it was during the summer and online during the year. So you could get certified in the state of Virginia through George Mason University, through Fast Train as an international school. T- I mean, it's a U.S. state license, but as an international school
0: teacher. Yeah, interesting. I don't
1: know if you could do it without a U.S. Social Security number. I remember somebody having problems with that. Yeah. You're a US citizen, That's a great way if you don't
0: have your teaching license when you're starting and there's like a there's like a summer program you said part of it and then and then some yeah. and do they assess do they do do they do some kind of assessment on your teaching when you're in the school or is that, is that done locally so you
1: have to have, like, similar to anything you would do if you were living in the US you have to do I call it a practicum because I was in Germany at the time but there's a word for it in the US where it's
0: like you're a te- student teacher student, te- yeah
1: student teacher yeah, yeah. Student Teaching and have someone observe you and do all those like I guess you can call it assessments and record keeping and you know monitor your progress and uh, sort of <laughs> sure. film your teaching and all that it's like it, it's exactly like what you would go through if you're in the u.s but you can do it in that's
0: really interesting really yeah. cool yeah so 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 you know you
1: have to test in the program and test out of the program and do all the life it's like very standard kind of stuff
0: in, interesting. Yeah, that's, that's good to know. Yeah, cool. So, so, so yes, yeah, so, so carry on. I'm sorry to interrupt, but that was interesting to me. Like, so what happened after that? You, you, you started in Munich, and you enjoyed it.
1: Yep, stayed there for five years, and after five years, although I loved the school, I never really felt um, that I loved Germany, the location, yep. that much. I for one and maybe with more blue skies so my husband and I decided we wanted to go someplace different and we ended up taking a job at Mont International School in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia.
0: Yeah, I've been there, nice place. Yeah,
1: Yeah. really enjoyed my time there. I was there at a really nice time for the school and stayed for, I think, two years. There was some transitions happening there with leadership and then ended up moving to International School Bangkok. Stayed there for three years, so that was like my five years in the tropics kind of thing and ready for a change. And then we went to Japan and worked at Yokohama International School for five years. And then we're now back in Bangkok, and my husband is working at NIST, and I work for myself uh,
0: for a year of learning. Great, good stuff. So, um, what, like, I'm curious about the transition from working in a school to, to being a, a consultant. You know, I, I do it obviously. Uh, well, what was your experience? How did it come about for you?
1: I think the shortest version of the story is I was super engaged and passionate about professional learning. So I started doing professional learning for the teachers at the school I was at, and because that went well, I was suggested to go and teach at teachers' conferences. And so the more of those that you do, the more people get to know you, and then people start calling you in for weekend workshops or longer-term consulting. So basically, it got to a point where I was having so much of that work that I didn't feel like I could balance both things. Like I was basically working two full-time jobs for, I would say, a solid four years.
0: Yeah. Before
1: I finally started to say, okay, I need to be like more part-time at school and see what happens in terms of the consulting. But since then, I think I've transitioned, and now I feel like well, you might generally refer to me as a consultant. What I really do is offer remote, personalized professional learning for educators around the world and primarily focus on in-depth, long-term online learning through COTAIL, the Institute of Educational Technology and Information Literacy. The COACH, our academic year mentorship program for coaches, women who lead, our long-term professional learning for aspiring women leaders, and then uh, private mentoring packages that I do in a setting very similar to this
0: wow that's a lot of stuff yeah i think how you how you described it is, is i think that's the optimal way is um is you know if to test it out when you're still waiting a job to go off and do more training do it off for free and then to leave i think it's it's a it's a higher risk scenario just to say okay i'm going to call turkey quit school and then try to find customers because you know the sale like a lot of educators don't know anything about sales and and even though nobody wants to call it sales and even though everybody wants to say customers just come to me I don't do anything like you have to sell you know and that selling is not it's not like old school you know smiling and dialing it's networking it's delivering you know getting references but then you know you've got to encourage people to give you references i, I think how you did it is 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 the way i don't know if you've got any thoughts on that how to transition for someone who wanted to do that <sighs>
1: I agree with you i think it is a it's like an easy transition in the sense that if you're super passionate about something it seems natural to start sharing more, more. Yeah. but that piece that you described is the hard piece being a business owner and you are even when you're just an individual
0: exactly yeah yeah
1: still a business owner as educators we're just not really trained for that kind of stuff
0: yeah
1: now i look at you know my budgeting and my accounting software and like you're talking about the sales and marketing and the stuff that i do to make my company function there is no way I could have turned from like being a technology coach, leading, you know, one-to-one programs in schools to tomorrow, being able to have the skills that I have today. And I still have so much to learn. So it's not like I'm not professing to be an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a big growth opportunity. Exactly. Educators were really well-versed.
0: Yeah. Like you said, it's not just the sales, it's, it's the accounting. It's, um, you know, and also, you know, you, you've, 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 it's dealing with a lack of security which I mean, i've been doing this 10 years now you know and when you haven't got a job and you don't know when you're getting paid i mean you know it's it everyone's in a different situation if your spouse is working it, it's a it's a good thing um if you've got some savings it's a good thing there's different ways to mitigate it but still like we're conditioned like to have to want security as humans and when you haven't got when you don't know you can any guarantee you're getting paid it's, it's it's hard and i think people underestimate how tough that is
1: and when you have people working for you and you have to pay them, yeah. one thing, if maybe you're not making the income for yourself, but if you have people working for you and you're worried about
0: being able to pay them, I mean, that's even worse. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. when We have like nine full-time people at apps events, you know, plus a lot of, we have a few contractors on kind of monthly retainers and then mostly everybody else is usually teachers or, or consultants who we work with. Uh, do, do you, so how does it, so what does it look like now? Is it just you or do you have people working for you full-time or how do you structure it? <laughs>
1: It's, I'm the only full-time person because I don't think my business is big enough yet to have other full-time yeah. although in the recent months I've been like, maybe I do need to take a yeah. shot. Um, so I have consultants doing various things with me, like we have a director of CoTail, Tail, Ms. Layman, and she manages everything there is to do with CoTail. Yep. So i'm already starting to think like the coaches are other like long-term professional learning for instructional coaches and school leaders and aspiring coaches and that's another kind of big program just like fogeo so it makes sense to have a director of that program yeah and then another program we have is called mastermind ed and that's designed to be really focused professional learning around relevant um, issues in education today so we're doing lot of anti-racism anti-bias training and i'm thinking that is an opportunity to have someone kind of lead that program but sure. still, have to kind of find the right time to build that stuff up. and then i have other people doing other things but that's kind of the main thing is like looking at those different programs and seeing how one person can kind of manage that program fully so who takes that
0: piece of it off. yeah yeah scary yeah, and it, it's interesting because it, it's like what you're doing is, I think, a bit harder than what we do. I mean, we're focused on mostly on Google, although we're, we're an ISTE partner now, so we're doing the SD Certified Educator, but, but 90, 95% of what we do is, is Google. And you're doing, you know, if you're doing women in leadership, you're doing the anti-racism, you're doing teaching online. That's a lot of different, like, different topics, you know, plus a few others you mentioned. Like I mean how do you how do you keep all the plates spinning and all these different things or is is it is one ticket most of the time or how how does it split between all these things?
1: It is a very good question and it's something that I As a coach, I believe really passionately in the power of coaching. So I have a coach for my sport, which is powerlifting, and I have a coach for my business, and that's what I'm working on in my business coaching is like, what can we slim down? Do we really need to have all of these things available? Can I focus in a little bit more? Because I think I'm the type of person, like my blog is called Always Learning, and I just, I love learning. one of our kind of mission statements is that we're in relentless pursuit of better professional learning we're relentless learners that's me i'm a relentless learner and so when there's something that kind of captivates me and i think is something that's really engaging and relevant for educators today i kind of can't help myself working yeah that thing. but i know that's like a major issue with entrepreneurs right don't do everything sure in niche now
0: <laughs> yeah exactly uh, yeah it's true it's um but you know, then again, as you know, every, it depends on your personality type. I mean, there are people who who, who do a lot of different things and and do it well, and, they, and there's other people who can just focus on one thing. Some people get bored if they just do one thing, you know. Like it's like it depends on your personality type a lot, I think. Yes. Um, and I'm
1: trying not to be the person who gets bored, but I know that is why I got in the situation that I'm in, and now I'm trying to like change my mentality about it a little bit and really recognize the depth that can be kind of uncovered and shared about one specific topic um to yeah just dig deeper in those areas as opposed to getting more variety
0: yeah also, all the um I mean I I yeah, I do get bored but it, I mean I I done so many things like I've I started two two software companies is very, is a bit of a big word small cost software products and and I'm never ever doing that again it's so much stress running this and then having you know we we, we in the early days pre Google Classroom we had a, a learning management system we made and then we made a ticketing system which we sold uh, not for much money to someone who, someone who took it over but like I I'm just I I'm always looking at shiny objects like and I'm just I've stopped myself doing it you now cuz it's 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 so it's so hard so for me. from my personality type, I can't do it. You know. Understand. Now, how so? So you started this, and, and how's it? So obviously, you said it's just you. Like, what's your? So do you want to tell us a bit about CoTeal? Because some people will probably know it. Some people don't know it. What's your, What's that? And what's your involvement in that? Sure.
1: So CoTail is the certificate of educational technology information literacy. It's a year and a half course, what we call micro-credential program, so you get a certificate at the end, and if you would like, you can earn university credits for, that's primarily for Americans who need that to obtain yeah. their teacher licensure, and basically that program is designed to empower usually classroom teachers to make their technology use of the classroom, like, more engaging and authentic and inspiring for the kids, and yep. get them ready for technology-rich learning, What usually happens through the Codetail program is people get so engaged in their professional growth with technology that they want to continue learning, and that's why we built out some other, like that's kind of how the other stuff started. Yeah. People finish Codetail and they're like, I want us to learn with you, what can I do?
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and was that um, was that Jeff Jeff Utek just started that? Oh, or, or you was it you and him, or what was that?
1: <sighs> so the program actually began at International School of Bangkok when I was there the year before Jeff came. Uh huh. I don't know if any of the schools that you have worked at or worked with, but we had the SUNY um, leadership program through the State University of New York. Yeah. We're looking for another program <coughs> for educators for technology. Got it. We built out the curriculum, and then the year Jeff came, he taught it with me and Dennis Harder. Um, well, I think it was just the three of us that taught us that first. Year. Yeah. and then it got really successful. Cool. to face base- setting and started building out um, like broader. And then me and Jeff owned that program for I'm going to say like five five to eight years maybe, wow. and and ran that program together. And then Jeff has transitioned to do other things. The way it happens in the business
0: world. Yeah. yeah. So now it's mine. My- Okay, cool. Yeah, it's interesting how, how that's got. A lot of people do it. It's, it's very popular with international schools, and it seems like, seems like an interesting course to do for sure. Yeah, what about um, yeah, what, what about Learning 2? That's an interesting. It's, I've, I've almost gone twice. It's never, it's never worked out. I've never been able to figure out how to, how to make it happen. But that's an interesting conference. It's capped it's, it's quite a small number of people, is not it, each year? Is it 150 or something like that? It depends
1: on the year. And when I was – so now I'm on the board of Learning 2. I started out being a conference – attendee, obviously, and then was asked to be a presenter and then was asked to organize the actual events. So I think I organized at three or four where I was like the mini chair, whatever our titles were, and then now I'm on the board. So I don't have a real day-to-day look at what's going on at 32 because we meet, you know, quarterly. It's not like a
0: management yeah, yeah.
1: in-depth kind of situation, but usually we try to cap at 400. And then, depending on the situation, it might be smaller than that. You know, based on visa issues or timing or whatever it may be. But yeah, the intention is for it to be small and not and personal and not just be a massive,
0: you know. four hundred is already pretty big. You know, like that's already like a, that's that's a decent sized conference. You yeah. know,
1: it's definitely a conference. It's not a workshop. It's a conference. Yeah. Um, My first ed tech conference
0: was Bet, the Educational Technology Conference. Yeah, I'm good every year. It just been cancelled actually. <laughs> yeah, and that was like my understanding of what EdTech conferences were. So it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Bet Bet's like a trade show, isn't it? I mean, it's it is a, co- a convex, it's a conference and a trade show. Um, Bet's you know, like I, I'm, I'm actually quite disappointed. Um, Bet's I just it got cancelled last week. You know, I, I knew it was going to happen, but because normally that happens second week of january and that's the start of my year you know we go to the mountains for christmas and year and then i always fly to london third week of january and that's like that's the start of my year you know but i mean you get to meet everybody there you know i mean we work with Acer, we work with obviously google everyone from google's there we have people on the google stand everyone's there and like i love it as a place to meet people you know that's it's, it's a great event but like you say it's it's kind of um it's overwhelming like it's yeah, it's 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 a lot, you know. I mean, we're we're actually running a conference in Bangkok next year, called the Connected School, and because we've been running Google Summits for years, and we wanted to kind of expand it a little bit. So we're doing it's going to be a Google Summit, but also an Apple and a Microsoft Summit, and then a lot of stuff on digital citizenship. So we should get you to present, actually, it'd be great. We should talk about getting getting you out because it's right in your hometown. But it's going to be in October, so we'll see if hopefully people can travel by then. Fingers crossed. um but I, I want to I keep that at like you know I want to keep that at like 200, 250 that's kind of my goal you know I want um, it, to it's always tempting to want to sell my tickets and make it bigger and bigger but you know the, you know, the level the, there's a, a once you get above like what you're talking about four 500 it gets really hard to meet a lot of people you know it becomes a bit overwhelming and some people kind of sit in the corner and don't want to talk to anyone because it's just too much going on um, interesting so uh, but learning too like so I mean how would you describe the conference because a lot of people have, maybe people don't know about it
1: we should have prepared our tagline.
0: Uh, no, that's okay. It's very casual. Basically,
1: the, the purpose of the conference is to look at innovative learning, not just technology. So it's not like a tools conference or a tech conference. It's about building community of educators who are interested in innovative learning. And what I personally think, I especially like about it, I think is kind of unique, is that we have what we call learning two leaders, those people run longer sessions, like their threads through the conference. So if you would join a topic and be with a leader for the morning, both days, a big chunk of time on the first evening, so that you really get to dive a bit deeper into a specific topic within yeah. the course of the conference. As opposed to you're just going to one hour session, one hour session, one hour session, one hour session. There's like cohorts, and so we have that piece, which is like the learning to leaders, and then there's like a Java-like thread that goes through that you. Need that cohort every day of the conference. So it's a really community-driven, connected environment where you are spending quality time with the people you're learning
0: with, and it's not just passive learning that you see Got it. Yeah, yeah, that sounds really good. Like I say, I definitely want to get along to it. It's just uh, so many, so many events to go to, you know. I mean, I, I try to go to air course and ACT quite often, and then Plus, you know, I've I've exhibited at some events with Apps Events. You know, we've had a stand and stuff, and sometimes I just go to speaks. And say, there's a lot of reasons, you know. I, I I'm, I'm someone that really likes conferences. I don't know about you, like I, I love going to conferences. I love meeting people. It's it's more than networking than the than the sessions for me usually. But um, I enjoy it, but I also yeah. It. I it. it it depends on the conference. There's a big, you know, there's there's some great. It's all you know with the sessions that like, it just depends on what are the speakers you know have you got people that are there just to really share concrete knowledge or have you got people there? you know when you have people that want to sort of sell something in a session and it's just not interesting to anyone from, you know which happens a bit you know in some of these conferences you know especially in america um cool so what about um that you mentioned online like is, is i mean right now obviously everything's online but pre-covid were you only training online or were you doing it in person or how do you structure that kind of stuff
1: I'll still do in-person stuff if that's what people want, but primarily, I really want my business to be available to anyone, and I really feel like the only way to do that and make it financially viable is to do it in a virtual setting, and I feel, I don't want to say lucky because that's absolutely the wrong word, but I think now people really understand the potential of learning in remote settings, and that is really exciting to me because I think Maybe for a long time, people were not sure that you could build close connections or build a relationship or be part of a community or feel connected or feel like you could access deep learning in a virtual setting because we've all gone through university level online courses and they're awful.
0: Yeah, yeah. Terrible, yeah
1: like that they're personalized they're customized they're unique and that is the environment that i think people are able to take the most from because you're doing it in your school setting with your school colleagues without having that travel lag without having that i'm going somewhere and when i come back i'm not going to do anything about it it's happening every day in your school context and to me that's what sustainable growth needs
0: so i'm really passionate about doing things online i think that's for me, that's like the future of professional learning. Yeah, I don't know if I agree or not. I'm, I, I, I don't know what my opinion is. It changes every day, you know. Because, I mean, like, I mean, I've been online since the beginning. We've always done online training since day one, but we've also do a lot of in-person training, you know. Um, and I kind of. I I'm not sure. I mean, you're right. You can design it to be much more engaging online, definitely. And and I, like you, I've done an online masters, and it was horrendous. You know, the only uh, and I did a, I did a course recently at the University of Nottingham, and the only good interaction we had our own WhatsApp group, and we had our own group video chats every now and again, and that was the only good part. Everything the university did was just horrendous. You know, like the Moodle was horrendous. Like Canvas is an awful system. All these systems are awful, and like and then. And there's no engaging teaching. They record a lecture and then expect, and then you know, the, the chat functionality doesn't work. It's it's awful. You know, so you can definitely make it engaging, and we obviously you know like to think we do. I'm, I'm sure you do from what I've seen of what you do. I'm just not sure it's a substitute for in person. You know, I know it scales better, and I know you can reach a lot more people. That's the positive side. I just don't know if people are. I mean, we need, we need connections as a human, you know, as humans. That's, that's, what, I, that's what I think. So I, I don't know. what, what the, I, I tend to think the future is going to be more blended. And, you know, it'll be a lot more online stuff. I think the face-to-face is going to happen. But maybe it'll be like, like for example, the ISTE course we run, ISTE Educator, there's a two-day face-to-face, and then it's online, you know. Maybe it'll be a bit of a blended solution. I, I'm not sure. I mean, what, what do you see as a future, the post-COVID future for PD? Big question. Big question. <laughs>
1: For me, I think I would like to see more schools taking the power of teams and applying that into a remote learning setting because I think that when teachers learn together, learning becomes sustainable and embedded and owned by all of those educators. So one of the things we try really hard to do, particularly in our mastermind ed courses, is encourage school leaders to register a team of teachers. So like right now we have, I think, 12 teachers from the American School in Johannesburg, AISJ, in our social justice course with doctor and Sasson-Jaber. And knowing that there's 12 teachers from one school in one course learning about social justice means that those 12 teachers are gonna be super engaged in making a difference in their school context as opposed to when you have just one person
0: good point yeah yeah
1: yeah and they come back and then they gotta sell it to everybody right so for me i think the vision is teams sustainable professional learning and also long-term professional growth because that's another issue i have with face-to-face events is and i run plenty of them like i'm not criticizing them but it's one day or it's two days and then you don't have this long-term Connection to the people you're learning with or growth over time, yeah. but you need to demonstrate understanding over a period of time. We've done quite a few co-tail cohorts where there's a face-to-face at the beginning and a face-to-face at the end, and I like that a lot. And maybe that's something that can come back post-COVID. Um, yeah. But I do feel really strongly that you can build meaningful connections in virtual spaces. I don't think it has to exclusively happen face-to-face, although. I value and enjoy
0: face-to-face time as well. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like, if I take the two university programs I've done, like, postgraduate, like, one was uh, a cohort together in the beginning for a few days and then online, and the second one was just online. And it was night and day, the connection we all had where we did the in-person face-to-face. Now, maybe maybe this university could have could have organised it in a better way so, so the online one was together, but, like... I just haven't got really good connections from that. But but you know again, like it doesn't mean it can't be done. I think you've, if you've got, if you have someone like you who's got a lot of experience in making it happen, I think you probably can. Is it the same? I don't know, that's a question I can't answer, you know? I, mean, I can think you could probably get it close. About the
1: value of being together in the room, and I think there is a huge value of being together in a room, but it's only the people who are able
0: to- To get to the room, exactly, yeah, 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 exactly. That's a good thing. Uh,
1: so I- the last meeting of the coach we had, um, Panama. I'm gonna try to list all the places: Panama, Oregon, New York. This isn't this everybody. This is just the people who were able to make that meeting. So Panama, Oregon, New York, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Japan, Kuwait, me and Bangkok. I feel like I'm missing a few people, but like all in a room together, all talking.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: And are learning about coaching. You know, when 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 do you have that conference? You know.
0: Sure yeah yeah exactly and that's the positive side it's true and you know like and again it sounds like I'm knocking online but I mean we've been a virtual organization for 10 years like you know we've got a bunch of full time staff we only this is this is how we communicate the only way we communicate you know I mean some people I don't even I might go two years without even seeing them you know so it can be done definitely I just yeah I don't know maybe it's just because right now I just really miss like going somewhere meeting people you know like I mean we're in we're in heavy lockdown here you know there's, there's even a curfew 9pm to 5am you can't even go outside um, it's it's strict everything's closed apart from shops and, uh, food, food and like pharmacies and stuff so it's like proper lockdown situation here so I think that's why like probably missing you know a bit of a 100%. face-to-face uh, interaction a a yeah Bangkok's pretty good isn't it I talk to my friends there and everything's open I mean not everything but it's you can have you can live a semi-normal life right now 100%. yeah but but once once the borders but that's the question is once the borders open and things you know then things are going to change you know right now no one's coming in you know well they're coming in and doing quarantine
1: like very likely for tourism like actual tourism not business travelers but actual tourism and they're starting to relax the restrictions I just read something maybe a couple of days ago about changing the quarantine from 14 to 10 days yeah so that would be really interesting to see the impact on. Like community, I, guess, I don't know if it counts as community spread if people are coming in, not quarantining long enough and then spreading yeah. to see the impact on Because right now, all of our active cases are always people coming from outside the country. It's not local spread. Sure. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens when yeah. restrictions are loosened in
0: bit. That's interesting. I, I didn't know that. Look, um, that's pretty much, I think we're pretty much up to like half an hour it. has been a super interesting chat. Like... Um, I guess what, what, what do you want to promote like what, what, where should people go to find you online what, what people listen to this like what kind of things could they benefit from like, what you're doing oh fabulous
1: I would love to talk about this yeah. <laughs> learn from me. Um, so we have the four key programs. Our programs are COTAIL, the Institute of Educational Technology and Information Literacy. Uh, the Coach, which is a micro-credential program just like COTAIL, designed for building your instructional coaching skills, having better conversations, being a leader. Women Who Lead, which is for aspiring leaders. And we have Mastermind Ed, which is for relevant and authentic experiences about specific topics that are relevant to education right now. We also have private mentoring, which is an individual mentoring with me. And you can find all of that at edurolearning.com, E-D-U-R-O learning.com. And you can find us on all the social media platforms, particularly Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at edurolearning. Or you can find me at Ms. Cibino on Twitter or at Super Kimbo on Instagram.
0: Great. Well, I'll put some links uh, in the show notes. Kim, uh, thank you very much. It's been uh, been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you.